Let me ask you a question as we begin this morning. How many unbelieving friends do you have? Do you have a lot of unbelieving friends, maybe family members, maybe a close friend, maybe someone that you have known for a while that are not involved in the truth of God's word, maybe not going to a church? How are you trying to reach them? Do you have a, do you have a plan? Are you asking God to help you as you seek to, to, to draw them into uh, faith? Uh, I want to tell you a story, give you a testimony about a woman a young woman who, who came to faith in Jesus. And I think the reason I, I like this testimony is because it draws out some principles about how we're to live our lives. Here's the story. A woman by the name of Puti Sok, uh, she's Asian, um, she told her Christian friends, leave me alone and quit praying for me. Puti described herself as a Cambodian Buddhist girl, even though she was born in Long Beach, California, and grew up in Dallas. She said, I figured I was Buddhist because my parents were Buddhists, and she thought Christianity was just a religion for Americans. Uh, eventually, Pudi began to consider herself as an evangelical atheist. In other words, she began to talk to people, trying to convince them that there is no God at all. So when Pudi went to um, college at the University of Texas, one of her goals was to build a deep relationships. She wanted to establish some relationship, close relationships with people, and she succeeded with doing that. She found some people that she built deep relationships with, some of whom were actually Christians. They were active in a student ministry at the University of Texas. And during your sophomore year, Pudi says, listen, I hit a wall. I just hit a wall in my life. I began to see that everything that I was doing was becoming meaningless. And if what I was doing didn't have some kind of eternal significance or meaning, then it was all in vain. She began to think, if this God truly is real, he should be able to hear my prayers. So each night she began to pray that she would be able to help that God would help her to know and to understand who he was and that he was trying to reveal himself to her. Then one day, Pudi entered into a closet at the University of Texas. There was a ministry building that they had turned into a prayer room. Inside, she found a bowl with pieces of paper with names of students, names of friends that she had known. One after another, she began to look at the slips of paper, and then she found her own name written on the slips. She knew how strongly she had urged her friends not to pray for her, and yet they had faithfully loved her and prayed for her anyway. She said she burst into tears that day in that tiny prayer room. God was softening my heart then. The next day she felt that God was asking her to, for a specific response, and she finally prayed and trusted Jesus with her Savior. And she says this, all of a sudden I had a desire to go and share with people. She said, God is real, and he has changed my heart. Let me ask you something. How did you come to know Jesus? How did you come to know Christ? Was it a person? I've told this story here many times. A gal by the name of Lisa Borsch. She was living in California. I was on the other coast, literally on the other coast of Virginia, going to school in Norfolk. And for two years, she wrote me telling me about Jesus and about how life had changed. And finally, through a set of circumstances, God radically changed my life and opened my eyes so that I would be able to embrace the truth of who Jesus is and what he is. See, I share that story because there's some important steps in there I think that you and I can learn. And there's some important steps from our text this morning that we're going to learn about how we can be a kind of missional living, how we can live our lives in such a way that maybe we have the opportunity to see people come to know and trust Jesus. Apart from that, it gives us the opportunity to tell people about Jesus Christ. Look at the story. Attachment to a believer. Acts of love. Communication of the truth. All of those things are important. Steps that you and I have been given so that we can 
model the life of faith, if you will, the model the life of Christ. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible as we get closer and closer to the end, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And what we're doing is we're in this series, Look Up. You know, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Set your mind on the things above. Set your heart on the things above. Why? Because in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it talks about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. What we want is we want Jesus to have preeminence. We want Jesus to have the supremacy in all areas of our life, whether it be my personal life, whether it be my family life, whether I live among non-Christians. What we want is we want Jesus to be at the center of the core of our lives. And what Paul does here is he writes this letter. He gives us some principles, some application of how we can live our lives in a specific manner that opens doors for us to share the message of Jesus. Let me ask you, do you want to do that? And I think if our lives have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son, Jesus, if our lives have been changed on the inside, we should want and desire to tell people about Jesus, to take them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And how does God do that? Through you and through you. And through you, through you. A man by the name of uh, Greg Laurie wrote a book, Tell Someone, and this is what he wrote. The primary way God has chosen to reach people is through other people. And the primary way he works through people is through the verbalization of the gospel. That you and I, as we enter into relationships, maybe with family members, maybe with coworkers, neighbors, as we enter into this relationship, we have the privilege of being able to communicate to them not only our own lives, but the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Life, death, burial, resurrection of who Jesus is and what he's done for us to transform our lives. We have the great privilege of being able to do that. And so what we have in this text Practical steps. I love the Bible. It's practical. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Let me read our text this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Not my word, the word of the Lord. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I'm in change. Verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Wonderful practical steps of how you and I can embrace these steps and be used of God to communicate the message of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your word. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, that we would see that you desire to use each one of us in this room to communicate the message of Jesus, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Father, you have transformed us. You have changed us. We recognize you for who you are, and now we simply want to be used of God to communicate your message to other people. And Father, I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Paul is in a prison cell, probably in Rome. And he's, he, he wants to be useful for the kingdom. He's been limited to all the things that he can do. There's limitations in his life. But he still wants to be useful. So what does he do? He's got these gathering of family and friends around him. He's, he's got some people surrounding him. And he's interacting with their lives. But one of the most important things that he's doing, he's praying for these people who are thousands of miles away. He's praying for them that, that God would allow him to be useful and allow them to be able to impact their community. 
He wants the people of Colossae to know and understand how they can outreach into their community with the message of Jesus Christ. So what he does is this. He says, there's four things that we can do. Number one, speak to God. Number two, speak to God about people. Number three, act in a way that's appropriate with the gospel message. And the last thing he's going to say is, listen, use your words. Use your speech. Let them be filled with grace so the people can respond to who Jesus is and what he is. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. That's the outline of where we're going. So let's begin. How can you and I live our lives in such a way that we're missional? How can you and I live our lives in such a way that we're practical with the message of Jesus? Number one, speak to God. Speak to God. Verse 1 says this, devote yourselves. Verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Let me ask you, when I even mention the word prayer, does it, does it cause you to become a little defensive? I think sometimes it does because maybe there's some areas in our life, subject of prayer, topic of prayer, Bible reading, that we're a little bit off on it. I mean, we really want to do a better job, and we want to be effective in the way that we pray for one another. I mean, you know, our, our good friend Karen is here today. And you know what we've had to do for the last year for her? Is pray, pray, pray that her life would be transformed, that her life would be healed. And sometimes that's all that we can do. And what, what we're learning here is that we have the great privilege and honor of being able to pray for other people. Praise, prayer is mentioned three times in here. So what, what Paul is saying, listen, I want you to be people characterized by the opportunity to pray. And maybe what we ought to do is see prayer not as a duty to be done, but as a privilege, as a responsibility, as something that we can do to build into our relationship with God. It's simply going out and speaking to him. Yesterday morning, I got up. It's a little after 7. It's absolutely beautiful out. So I grabbed a cup of coffee. I just walked outside, got on a chair, and I just sat there. I just talked. Just talk to God. Lord, thank you for the blue sky. Thank you for the cool weather. Thank you for the trees. And then God begins to bring back people that I need to pray for. Circumstances, situations. And I'm not doing a duty. What I'm doing is I'm fostering a relationship. God, I'm in a relationship with you. and, And I see all these people and they have these incredibly wonderful difficulties and challenges going on in their lives. And I want to be a part of that. I don't want to close my heart to that. I want to open my heart to that. Philip Yancey wrote a book. It's about prayer. Prayer doesn't make a difference. And he said something I thought was really interesting. This is what he said. He said, life is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived. Prayer offers no ironclad guarantees, just the certain promise that we need not live that mystery alone. There's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of difficulties, a lot of challenges in life. And what prayer reminds us is that you don't have to go through this battle by yourself. The King of kings and the Lord of lords wants to be right there with you if you will just simply open our minds and our hearts to him and respond to him in a wonderful way. And one of the ways that we do that is how we pray to one another. And so what Paul does is, listen, I want to, I want to give you three guidelines, Paul. Three guidelines for how we pray and respond to God and build this relationship. First thing is this, be persistent. In other words, don't give up. Don't give up. That's what the word devote means. Don't give up. Be persistent. Keep going. Keep hanging in there. When life is difficulty and circumstances are going on, don't give up. Keep moving forward. When you feel like you're all alone and you don't know what to do, keep praying. When you're discouraged and all of these things are going on in your life, don't give up. Be persistent. Hang in there. God is responding to you. 
And maybe you don't immediately get the response that you want, which is typical. Don't give up. Be persistent. Be devoted. Keep moving on and on in your relationship with the Lord because he sees response and will help you in your time of need. Listen, Jesus knew about that. He knew the reality of our lives. Jesus gets to the point where he's going to the cross in, in the most important time of his life, and his disciples, they can't hang with him. They've fallen asleep. Jesus knew that we would become discouraged. Jesus knew that we would fight this battle of coming to him appropriately. And so what he does is this. During his earthly life, Jesus teaches a couple of parables about prayer and the importance of prayer and the significance of prayer. Luke chapter 11, Jesus is, is with his disciples. He says, Lord, Lord will you teach us to pray? And then he does. He teaches them. He gives them the disciples' prayer. And then immediately right after that, he tells them a parable. He tells them a story about how they're to respond in prayer. And this is the parable. A parable is this. A, a, a guy is in bed, and he's in bed with his family. He's all tucked in, and they're all inside. And then somebody comes knocking on the door, banging on the door. Hey, listen, uh, somebody's come, and, and I need to feed them. Do you have anything in your house that you can give to me that I can feed this neighbor, that I can feed this person? The guy says, no, I'm in bed. I'm already tucked in. I can't, I can't get up and give you what you need. Luke chapter 11, verse 8. Notice what Jesus says responding to that situation. I tell you the truth. Though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. In other words, he says, listen, be bold in the way that you pray. When you come in that relationship with God, recognize that you have the opportunity to be bold in the way that you pray. Pray boldly before who God is. There was a second parable that Jesus gave about prayer because he knew that we would struggle with this. He said, listen, I want you to pray boldly. Second parable is about a, about a woman. She's a widow. And she's all alone. And she has no one to plead her case. No one. No family members, no friends, no one around. And she keeps going to the judge. She keeps going to the judge. And he keeps dismissing her, pushing her off, getting her away from him. You don't like what he's saying. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus told his disciples. He said, always pray and don't give up. He gave them that specific parable so that they would always pray and not give. What, what Jesus, what we're learning from the life of Jesus is be bold in the way that you pray. Always pray, don't give up. Know that God wants us to come to him to storm the gates of hell because of all the difficulties and the challenges going on in our life. Don't give up. That's the first principle. Second principle is this. Watch out. When you're praying, are you watchful for things going on in your life? Watchful for things going on around you? Give you circumstances, opportunities to pray for the things that are going on. You know, a lot of times we think, well, you know, what I need to do is I need to close my eyes and I need to pray. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about opening your eyes, being watchful for all of the difficult challenges going on in your life. Maybe there's a burden in your life. Maybe there's a challenge that somebody else is going through. You know, you, you get the text you get the email, you get the notification from someone that a family member or someone else is going through a difficult time, and we have the opportunity to respond. We know the difficulties and challenges of life, and we need to be watchful of those kinds of things. But I think there's also another kind of watchfulness. You realize you're in a battle? You realize that you are in a spiritual battle? That battle continues day on and day out. The, the Bible says this, the thief comes to kill to rob and destroy. He wants to ruin and wreck your faith. And you and I need to be watchful. We need to be tending of this because we know that we are in this spiritual battle. Peter recognized that. 
Jesus said, said, Peter, Satan has tried to take you away. He's tried to sift you, but I have what? I have prayed for you. And later, Peter would write these words in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. That's what it means. Be watchful about what's going on. Why? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Listen, we need to be watchful. We need to be alert for the circumstances, things going on in our lives. Are we trying to help people by entering into the difficulties and challenges that we see them going through and the opportunities that we have to pray for them? I think there's a final thought. This idea of watchfulness is this. Are we looking for opportunities to speak God's truth? Are we looking for opportunities to speak about the life, death, burial, and resurrection? To speak truth in the life of another person because of what they're going through, what the challenges they're going through? That's what he's talking about here. So are you praying for opportunities? Are you praying for open doors so that you can respond? Devote yourselves to prayer. Be persistent. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. The last thing is this. Be thankful. Be thankful. As you look at your life and you look at the circumstances of your life, do you see where God is working? And can you be thankful? Are you thankful for what he's done in your life? I told you I was on this motorcycle trip. And uh, it, it's just the whole driving thing is, is really difficult and challenging at times. And so we found out that there was rain uh, in the forecast. So we, I, I ended up leaving early. And I, I, I intentionally stayed off the main highways, the main interstates so that um, I, could, uh, I could ride, and if I got caught in rain, I, I wouldn't have to deal with going 75 miles an hour trying to pull a trailer in the rain. And so Thursday night, I'm coming in, and man, I, I can just see the, I can see the storms are coming. I, they're right there in front of me, and it's starting. I mean, it's just starting. And I'm like, Lord, I need to get 15 more miles. I need to get off and get over. 15 more miles, get off and get over. Made it up, get off. 8 o'clock pulled in, minimal rain. Friday morning, I get up. Same thing. As a matter of fact, I knew I was going to get rain. So I pulled over. I put on all of my rain here because I knew that I'm going to hit rain. Start heading off. About an hour. No rain. Still in the clouds, still in the muck. No rain, no rain. Finally broke up. And as I got to the end of that, I knew that I had people back here praying for me. Praying that I would stay out of the rain, stay out of the stuff, stay out of the danger of all of that. And that's what he's talking about here. He's asking, are we thankful when we see God responding? That was a blessing in my life. That was a blessing not to have to go through all of that stuff. And I intentionally came back, texted all of my friends and said, I want to say thank you because this is what God did in my life in response to your faithful prayers. That's what he's talking about here. Are we devoting ourselves to prayer? Are we looking at the circumstances of our life, the challenges of our life, are we going on behalf of other people to help them? And are we living a life that's thankful? There's a gal by the name of Fleming Rutledge, and she wrote about this idea of thankfulness and prayer. And and listen to what she said. The life of thankfulness, biblically speaking, is lived in view of the hard things of existence. As the life of thanksgiving deepens, we discovered that the more mature prayers of thanksgiving are not those offered for the obvious blessings, But those spoken in gratitude for obstacles overcome, for insights gained, for lessons learned, for increased humility, for help in time of need, for strength to persevere, for opportunities to serve others, 
me ask you, you see and identify where God is working in your life? And are you truly thankful for who he is and what he's done? That's what he's talking about when he's talking about how this attitude of thankfulness when it comes to prayer. Paul knew all about that. He's in a prison cell. He's limited as to what he can do and what is he doing. He's going, storming the gates of of heaven on behalf of these people at Colossae so that they would have the opportunity to respond in faith and be missional money that they would live. So let me ask you, how are you doing in your prayer life? For me, I had to to make some boundary checks in there. I have to write it down. I have to write it down on my day timer. I have to use something else. I have to use a couple of things in order to remind myself that I need to be about praying for us and us as a people. So Paul says, listen, if you want to be missional, you need to pray. Second thing he says is this. Pray about people. Pray about people. Open, Open your mind and your heart to the people around you and the circumstances of their life. Look at verse 3. He says this, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. What I find interesting is this, what Paul doesn't ask for them to pray for. He doesn't ask them, listen, pray that I'll be released from prison. He doesn't ask that, uh, pray that God would bring me some people because I'm really lonely in the food stinks here. He doesn't ask that at all. You know what? I'm, I'm being held unjustly here. I, I don't like the reasons that I'm in here. Will you, will you pray that somehow justice will prevail? The focus on Paul's prayer is not on himself at all. The focus on prayer is what? On other people. Pray for us too that God may open a door for us. Notice the content of what Paul is praying. Paul is praying very specifically that God would work in a way that would allow them to take and bring out the message of Jesus Christ. So when we, when we go to the Lord daily, weekly, however we choose to do that, we want to pray for open doors. Look again at verse 3. Pray for us that God may open a door for the message. What's a door? A door is a barrier. It's something we need to get through to get to the other side. Sometimes we don't recognize those barriers. Sometimes we don't see those barriers. It could be an emotional barrier. It could be a physical barrier. It could be some other kind of barrier. There's a barrier out there in the and the relations that we have with people. And what we're asking here is we're asking specifically that God would open a door so that we can tell people about the message of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's asking God to do something in our lives in a way that it would allow us to speak and do the things that we want to do, and that's to speak the message of Jesus to other people. Does it work? Well, of course it works. Two verses from the life of the Apostle Paul to the people of Corinth, he wrote these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says this. I'm going to stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Because a great door for effective work has opened up to me, and there are many who oppose me. He's saying, listen, even though there's a lot of people that don't like what I'm saying, even though there's a lot of people that oppose me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay right here because there's an open door of ministry. So when you and I have the privilege of praying that God would open a door, he's going to do that at some point in time. He's going to do that. God, would you... Give me the opportunity to share with this person that I work with about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Will you open a door so that I can speak to them about Jesus? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, another example from the life of Paul says this. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, I found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord had opened a door for me, what? To speak about the message of Jesus Christ so that people would come to know and understand who he is, life, death, burial, and resurrection. You know, how different maybe what our church would be if we were to embrace some of these principles. 
continuing to devote ourselves to prayer, praying that God would open doors for us to be able to speak the mystery of Jesus Christ. He would open doors so that we can tell other people about who he is and what he's done for us. When's the last time you shared your story of how you came to know Jesus? It's really simple. It's really simple. Can I tell you how and what Jesus has done in my life? Two, three minutes you can do that, focusing on what Jesus is and what he's done. That's what he's praying here. He prayed that God would open up a door. But there's a second part of that prayer. Notice what he says before. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. What's the it that he's talking about? The message of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message that you and I have been challenged, that you and I have the privilege of proclaiming. You know, maybe when he talks about this idea of proclaiming it clearly, it's understanding the circumstance that we find ourselves in, understanding the, maybe, maybe the, the place that a person's in. You know, maybe someone is really, really burdened. Maybe that life is really difficult for them. Their, their life is really, really challenging for them. Well, what we can proclaim to them is this, Jesus wants to bear your burdens. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will carry your burdens. We, we can tell them that because of what Jesus has done. He's carrying our burdens with us. Or maybe like this gal who was uh, at the beginning of the illustration, who's kind of wandering out and not sure of what's going on in life. Maybe there's, she's lacking a meaning and purpose. What we can do is we can tell them, we can point to Jesus. Jesus gives us meaning and purpose of life. He is the all-sufficient one in our lives. What he's talking about is this. He's talking about being specific about who he is and what he's done, being clear and articulating the gospel, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So principles from Paul. Devote yourselves to prayer. Don't give up. Keep going. Pray for open doors, that God would open doors for us to speak about who he is and what he's done for us. Number three is this. Be wise in how you respond to other people. Respond in such a way that allows you to build into the lives of other people. Most of what it says in verse 5, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the, the most of every opportunity. You know, what I find interesting here is Paul just assumes that we're going to be around outsiders. We're going to be around unbelievers. He wants us to be around that. You know, they talk about, you know, after you've been a Christian for like two, three years, that you lose all your contacts with non-Christian people. I love to be around unchurched people. I love to be around non-Christians. I love to hear their stories. I love to hear about what's going on. I love to try and bridge that gap. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about finding ways to respond and act in such a way that proclaims to them who you are. Billy Graham once said this. Interesting. We are the Bibles the world is reading. You ever think of yourself as being a Bible that people are looking at you. Maybe you're the only believer in that person's life. Maybe you're the only person. He says, we are the Bibles the world is reading. We are the creeds the world is needing. We are the sermons that the world is heeding. You and I have the great privilege of speaking the truth, the message of the life, death, burial, and resurrection. And are we building bridges with a, non, with a lost person? Are we building gaps? Are we looking for opportunity to serve that unchurched person who doesn't know Jesus? Are we looking for ways, or are we just pushing them off saying, you know, I don't really want to be around that kind of person? We have the great privilege of trying to act in such a way that people look and notice there's something different about our lives, and we can point them ultimately to who Jesus is and what he's done for our lives. 
Paul is being very practical. Pray. Devote yourselves to pray. Pray for opportunities to speak the message of Jesus. Now respond, act, look for ways to serve people around you. And the last thing he talks about is the way that you use your speech, the way that you use your words. Verse 6 says this, let your conversation. You know, he's talking about you're having a conversation with someone. You're having a dialogue. You're speaking to someone. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I would imagine that a lot of people are going to be doing some barbecuing today, right? We're going to be out. We're going to be barbecuing. And a lot of times, whether it be what you're barbecuing, whether it be a pork shoulder or whatever, you season it, right? You put some kind of seasoning on it, some rub or salt and pepper. What we do is we season the meat. Why? We, We do that to make that meat a little bit easier to barbecue. It's going to add flavor to it. He said, listen, your speech, our speech, the way that we talk to people about Jesus be seasoned with grace. Not trying to win an argument, but grace. Recognizing what Jesus has done in your life, but speaking to them in a graceful way. When I first became a Christian, I was living in Southern California, and I was living with my, I was living with my grandparents. And uh, it was just a really difficult time, and I was going through a lot of changes. So I was having a conversation. I still remember this. I was having a conversation with my grandfather. My grandfather grew up around the Bible. His father was a kind of an itinerant uh, preacher, and he he knew the Bible. We were out in the back one day, and we were having a conversation. And he said, well, you know, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. Well, I knew that wasn't in the Bible. And I just told him that. I said, yeah, you know, that that's not in the Bible. And the only thing that I did and the way that I said it, the manner, I just burned a bridge. I wanted to be right. I wanted to prove something. And that was so wrong. My, my speech was not seasoned with grace. It was seasoned with a desire to be a know-it-all, to think that I knew something. The good news is this, that God gave me the ability, got me pointed in the right direction uh, to get some instruction, get some teaching, to allow me to be able to speak to my grandmother and my grandfather about truth and what had happened in in my life. And and years later, I I actually, wanting to make sure that my grandfather knew exactly what had happened in my life, I, I took... Uh, a yellow piece of paper, and I wrote three pages to my grandfather of who he was in the role that he had played in my life to show him that my life had radically changed. The text says this, let your speech always be with, with grace so that we know how to respond to people in the circumstances that they find themselves in. Real briefly, a couple of principles here from the book of Proverbs. I'm just going to rip through these and how to use our words. Number one, avoid an argument. You don't have to get in an argument with everybody. You don't have to argue. Some people, some people already know where you're at and what, they, what you believe. You don't have to argue with them. Don't get in an argument with them just for the sake of getting an argument. Second thing is recognize foolish behavior. Proverbs says this, stay away from a foolish man for you'll not find knowledge on us. Some people just want to pull us into and have a conversation or an argument with us. We don't have to go down that way. Ask good questions. Let, let me ask you, so well, why do you want to know this information? Why are you asking this? Are you being sincere in the dialogue that we're having? Or are you just trying to prove a point, trying to make me look bad, trying to trump me up? Avoid an argument. Recognize the fool. Number three, recognize that people are people. Look at Proverbs 20. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. But a man of understanding draws them out. Listen, we are complex people. We don't know what goes on in the heart and mind of another person until we 
have the opportunity to sit down and talk with them, a dialogue. We don't know what's going on, the life struggles inside of another person. What we want to do is we want to be able to dialogue in such a way that draws them out. Hey, what's going on in your life? Is there anything that I can do to help you? Can I pray for you in some way? Can I respond to you in such a way? The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. Some people are masking pain and suffering and issues that are stuffed way down deep inside of them. You have the, I have the great privilege of, of, through our grace, to try and draw them out and to direct them to the cross and who Jesus is. Last thing is, remember the power of your words. Proverbs 18 says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words can have a profound effect on people in their lives. That's why it says pray. Pray about what you do. Pray about what you say. Pray about all of those things so that you and I know how to respond with grace to people in time of need. So Paul is getting ready to, in this letter, he's talked about family relationships, and now he's talking about being missional in the church, how you and I can respond to outsiders. Prayer is an important part of the way that we respond to outsiders. What we do and how we act and how we serve other people is an important part of our testimony, if you will. Always being graceful in the things that we would say, the way that we respond to them, not in an argumentative way, is important. And the way that we words are incredibly powerful in shaping the gospel message. These are great tools that Paul has given to us in the, in the church as we seek to be a testimony to those outside the family of faith. Just before we, we take communion, let me just ask you one other question. Do you, have a, do you have a desire to reach people for Jesus? And I think we should. I really do. And, and God, in a way that we don't fully understand, is bringing people into your life that I can't reach. He's bringing people into my life that I can't reach. He's directing people through circumstances and, and situations. He's bringing people into, into your life and our life in such a way that only you have the privilege and the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. You know, I see some of the circumstances of what's going on in my own family. How my dad's life has radically been changed. I see circumstances of other things going on with my family members. And I, one of my prayers is God bring a Christian into their path. Bring a, bring a believer in their path who can talk to them about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You and I have the great privilege of being able to tell people about Jesus. Father, I thank you for the way that you've changed our lives. Thank you for a gal named Lisa Borch who wrote me for two years telling me about Jesus. Father, thank you for the faithful testimony of, of people in this room who go out and share the message of Jesus. And And Lord, I ask that you would place a burden on our hearts about how we can communicate the message of Jesus. Father, it would be great if this week, if you would open doors for each one of us, a clear open door for each one of us to share about who you are and what you've done in our life. Father, I pray that you would do that this week for each one of us, Lord, through our neighbors, through associates, Lord, through people that we might meet, Lord, make us open and mindful for how we can communicate the message of Jesus Christ. Father, this morning we come humbly to you. Thank you for the privilege to be able to take communion together. Father, I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.